All right, welcome back to a new eraser. This is fantastic. That's exciting. Someone brought some attention to this room. All right. We are in the second week of a new series. We're going to start out with prayer and then we will then we'll go on. Emma, can you pray for us? It's been so <laughs> All right. Thank you. So we are in the book of. Anybody know? John started it last week. Is it James? It is James. This is not Jeopardy, though. You do not have to phrase it in a question. It is James. <laughs> That's right. So, book of James. We are doing, and James is who? Do you know? Who? <laughs> Somebody's brother. The half-brother, yes, anyways, of Jesus. Okay. So, uh, Mary's children, and Mary and Joseph's actual children, um, and obviously uh, Jesus was was conceived by immaculate conception. Okay, so it was Mary alone. God put Jesus into Mary's womb. So really technically half-brother of Jesus. He's got some very interesting wisdom that he shows and understanding. And you have to think that somewhere along the line, he really started to understand what this uh, this older brother Jesus was thinking about and talking about, and it may not have been while he was in the house at all. In fact, they were kind of embarrassed of Jesus, and one time they went to get him because he was kind of talking out of his turn, out of, uh, and, and they said, hey, come on back, Jesus, let's, let's take you back, because you're getting a little crazy. This was at the beginning of his ministry. Okay, so as time went on, uh, James clearly got the message because he has some fantastic stuff, really good ways he looks at God, and his understanding is pretty deep. So um, I want to talk about children first. Children are one of the most amazing gifts in life. You guys were all children once, and now you're just young adults, and it's fantastic. But we have four kids, and I've been privileged to be able to be through the entire process uh, for those children to be born, okay? And to watch as my wife grew a little bigger and a little bigger, and to see the little feet sticking out of her stomach, okay, as some baby, which one of them, I, they all had little different things of what they were, uh, would put their foot up against their stomach and you could actually see like the outline of the foot. It's very interesting. It's a crazy thing, okay, and then to be there when my children were born, uh, when, when someone is pregnant like that, it's obvious, right? Eventually, right? <laughs> There's no hiding it. At first, it's like, you don't really know, okay, if that person is pregnant. And then eventually it's like, wow, that person is pregnant, really pregnant, until that final day. And it, there's nobody that can miss it. Even the most blind person can see eventually that it's coming. There's a baby coming. 
It gets to be super obvious. And then it happens, the actual birth, there's pains, okay, that come along with it, and those contractions where God created this ability of the female body to be able to contract and literally push the baby out. It's an incredible process, the whole thing from beginning to end. And then this baby that's born, and you hold it in your arms, and it doesn't even look alive when it first comes out, which is incredible. And then all of a sudden, life floods into this baby, and you see, I mean, it is alive, but it doesn't look alive at first. And that baby all of a sudden is yours. That whole process is an interesting thing, all right? It's amazing. James is talking about a birth, a process this time. But it's not your average birth. It's not your normal birth, although every one of you will experience it to some level. Uh, but here's where it comes in, is James is going to talk in the first chapter of James about us as creatures. Okay, creatures of God. And when God created us as creatures, what was his intent for us? When Adam and Eve, he made Adam and Eve, what did he want for us? Where did he put Adam and Eve? In a garden. Just a lot quiet. In a garden, yeah, a garden of Eden. And was it perfect? Sure was. That was God's intent, is that he would put us in paradise, okay, paradise, and that we would be perfect, and that we would choose to be perfect. We know the story didn't go too well for the choosing of being perfect, and Mankind went crash all in a day, basically, okay? They were all floating along and then boom, they crashed. And we call the fall of man, the fall of mankind happened when Adam and Eve sinned. And we became, in our nature, sinful, okay? Every child was born in that sinful nature, okay? Born in sin. You can't help it. You can't stop it. You can't change it. You are born with a sinful nature. Your nature was not what God intended. God intended a perfect nature. A spiritual perfect nature. And instead, we messed it all up, crashed it all in a day, humanity, and then God's plan came into place about enacting salvation and the ability to forgive and all of that went from there, okay? So when you're born, you have inside of you a nature, okay? And all of those births are not what I'm talking about yet. There's something different yet, all right? James chapter number 1, verse number 13 and 14, just about where we left off last week. Chapter 1, verse number 13 and 14, please, let's read that. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away from his own lust and enticed. 
Okay, so God, God made us perfect, right? God made us perfect. And God's intent was perfection. And God never intended us to be tempted. Okay? He doesn't go up there saying, oh boy, I can't wait till I can trip her up. Can't wait till I can make her mess up. I'm going to watch him fall. God never intended that. God does not tempt us. Where does the temptation come from? It's over there. You can use your words. <laughs> I'll even move closer. Where does it come from? Our nature. Our nature. The temptation starts inside of us. Our nature. And what does it do to us? Every man is tempted. So can't blame it on God, okay? Don't blame it on God when we mess up. But where we need to understand is something is happening here. And every man, every woman, every child is tempted. In some way. The me, me, me. Give it to me, right? Every person is tempted. And what happens? He's tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Here's my big question to start with, and we'll get back to this. Drawn away, right? That means you were close to something. Here's you, standing close to something. A box. A something. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. And here you are. You go. You're drawn away. Ooh, look at this shiny box over here. Right? Drawn away. So we left something. How did we get there? What made us go? What made us go away? Drawn away of? By? Your lust. And? Says two words. There's a there's a word that starts with an e. Enticed. And we are enticed. What does enticed mean? What does lust mean? Enticed is like like when we see it, we we're like oh. Yes. We are going to uh, look at something and be attracted to it. Okay. We're going to be attracted to it. We're enticed. Oh, look at that. That is shiny. Look at that box. It's shiny. Ding. Right? Get a little, wow, look at that. Right? So we're attracted to it. And what does the, what is lust? Like, I want it now. That's it. It is not necessarily just a sexual thing, lust, although it does include that. But it means I want it now. Okay? It's all about timing. All about timing. I want it now. And so we look and we say, that's nice. I want it now. And we leave this, this thing. We don't know what it is yet, but we leave it. Walk away from the green and orange box here. Okay? We walk away from it. And what happens then? Verse number 15. Sin, when it finished, when it 
is finished, bringeth forth death. Okay, so when lust says conceived, what does conceived mean? So you could say formed at the very beginning. What's that? Formed in its beginning form, it's small. Okay, yep, it's, it's beginning. Now, like this, you can conceive of an idea, right? You think of it at the very first time. It's like, ooh, that's something to think about. Okay, but conceived is also, you were once conceived. Each person, you started out as a very, very small cell, essentially, and were built upon, okay, to become you. You are conceived. So it's just the very beginning of what we'll call a baby. There's a baby born. What's this baby? Well, lust created it. That was the thought. Lust created the itty-bitty baby. That's the baby, okay? Little tiny itty-baby. Just a tiny, just the first little bit. Just thought of, okay? It's little, right? Because it looks very, what could that hurt? Right? It's so little. Doesn't really matter. And lust with that first little thought, that first little bit of that baby's created, then what happens to a baby after it's created? It gets bigger. It gets bigger. And it grows. And you don't know it for a little while. Right? Just like a woman who's pregnant. You don't necessarily know for a little while. And then all of a sudden you're like, yeah, I think so. And then maybe two or three more weeks you're like, I know it's coming. And then eventually there is no getting around it. The time is just when and it's soon. It's happening. You cannot stop it. That's the thing. You can't turn it around and say, never mind. Didn't really mean that. Right? There's, there's not any way uh, to stop this baby once it started, once it's conceived. And that's the idea behind exactly what was happening. Lust conceived it. And what did it bring? This was lust. The little, the little idea. I want it now. Sin. Bra I brought forth sin. Sin is bigger. There's your bigger baby. Sin. Okay. <laughs> and then what happened? Brit sin. It's going to happen. Now, that baby's coming. Okay? And, and the only possible way of the full growth of that baby of sin from that little tiny lust is it brings death. Okay? It brings forth death. Okay? Same type of language used as delivering a baby. It's bringing death. So that's kind of a weird way to think about it, right? But it starts little and tiny. And it seems very insignificant. But soon it becomes very significant and very apparent. And then they change your life. Children do that forever. Okay? You cannot get back once you once had, once you have a baby. Changes your life. I promise you that. Someday you'll have children and you'll say, I remember what Levi said. I never could get my life back ever again. And it's true. 
okay? Just remember, <laughs> before you had a baby and after is way different. Your life changes. Not all for the bad when you're having a baby. It's a great thing. But when this is the baby that you raised and started with lust, that only ends up in the wrong direction. Okay? No turning it around. So, where do you stop it? Before it's conceived, right? Stop here. Stop. This is where we put on the... I haven't got the right number of sides. Stop. Okay? Stop here. You have to stop it there. So, because it made us, that lust made us walk away from something important. It, it took us to this end. There's no way out. But in that beginning, we turned around. Oh, that's shiny and nice and that's attractive to me. Okay? And it brings us to something else, but made us walk away from it. All right, so verse number 16 through 18, please. Do not err, my beloved brother. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom it is no variable, neither shadow of judgment. Of his own, of his own will begot he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of Alright. That's kind of a weird thing. Okay, so he says, don't don't follow this pathway. Under, understand, don't do what this is, because God's plan was different. And here was what God really intended for us. When he created us, we were these creatures of God, and he wanted us to have perfection and paradise and choose it. What he said was, I'm going to create you unlike any other. You are going to be unique. He uses words called the first fruits. Okay? The first fruits of creation. What are the first fruits? It's kind of an old way. Uh, when you wait for... When you, when you wait all summer long, or a good portion of summer, and you've plowed and planted and put stuff in the ground and watched it grow, the first fruits are those first most amazing, incredible whatever that you pull out of the garden. Your first fruits, okay? It's the best tasting. It is the most waited for and sought after, after you've eaten 473 pieces of corn, 474th is not as good, but the first one tastes amazing, okay? Because it's been so long. Though He created us as that unique, amazing set of creatures, humans. And how are we unique? Well, here's how we are unique. We were created in that last verse... He begat us, or he, he, he made us, with what? Verse 18. The word, of truth. the word of truth. So that we can be unique. Now, you can go out to the woods, and if you can get a deer to stop and talk to you, I'd be impressed, first of all. 
And second of all, if you could talk to that deer and have a conversation with that deer, what would it say? Nothing. Okay, right? And it's not the importance of making a verbal sound, but the importance of what is the deer thinking about? Food. Safety. Food. Safety. Sleep. Food. Safety. That's, that's what it thinks. Instinct. Right? It has instinct. Okay? And some animals have some amazing instincts. They can find homes. They can even read a little bit of your gestures, how you communicate with them. But you don't, as much as you love your dog, you do not talk with your dog about God and the nature of God and heaven and how we'll be there. You don't. Because there is within the human race a capacity that does not exist in the animal race. Because we are the first fruits of his creation. We have a unique ability to conceive of deeper truth. Now, the deer know that live in a world of truth. Right? They do what they do by instinct. They are very good at what they do. They can hide, they can run, they can eat, they find food, uh, they reproduce, they do all those things. But humans are in a much different category. And I don't mean that in any disrespect. I love animals very dearly, but God did not create us in the same way. Now maybe someday in worlds to come, when we are with God in heaven, we may see talking deer. I don't know. God may create things and other creatures. But here on earth, we have not seen those with a capacity to be able to have a deep conversation about who God is and what purpose I have. Deer have their own purpose. Dog has, dog has their own purpose. A mouse has its own purpose. It does what it's supposed to do by its instinct, by its imprint that God left on it and said, do it. But God left a unique imprint on humans that said, you're looking for something like me. All right? You're looking for something. And there is a word of truth in your nature. It's inside of you. Now this is getting into some deep thinking. How the human race was created and what God thought about us when he did it. James got a lot out of living with Jesus, okay? And probably a lot more out of prayers and things that he learned from God directly, okay? But he understood that there was something innate in a human being, something in its nature that, that God created and desired that it's not satisfied until it has that. Okay? That is what's in the box. Okay? That is what's in the box. In order for a human to be fulfilled, it lives by that word of truth which is essentially the nature of God and who He is. It, it, there's a God-shaped vacuum. 
Blaise Pascal said that there's a God-shaped vacuum inside of every human. You can't fill it with anything else. Although, people will try, right? And the try is here. Ooh, look at that shiny thing. Let me go do that. And it gets you onto the pathway of, I want it now, and conceiving of that little tiny thing of lust. And it grows, and it's unstoppable. Okay? So there are ultimately two ways to, two pathways here, all right? Two things to look at. We are created with a consciousness and with this word of truth inside of us, which means every human feels it to some level, and our founding fathers of our country gave it a name. They said it is an inalienable right. That means you cannot take it away. You can jail us, you can kill us, you can do whatever you want to us, but you can't change the human nature, what God created us to be. It does not change our purpose. People can do all that they want, but there is a dissatisfaction in anything but having our intended purpose and truth that God has within us. God's words, okay? And where that comes out is in a very interesting thought, okay? Very interesting thought. We want to be, if we, if we follow God and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to stick here, we begin to say what our most important thing is, is truth. It is not that I have a nice house, it is not that I have a nice car or a nice, the latest video games, televisions, computers. That is not where we find satisfaction for a life. Our life comes to, from a depth of God saying, you only will be satisfied with me. I created you, so you will be missing me. All right? The only way to fill it is that way. So let's look at a little bit more here as we see. Verse 19 through 24, all right, how do we do this? How do we live this? Verse 19 through 24, please. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, brethren yep. that let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Superfluity. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. All right, so here is a, another fantastic thing, right? Who loves to be on camera? Not too many people. Who loves to look at themselves on camera? Not me. I don't even like to be on this camera, but I do it so people can see and hear, okay? Don't like to be. Now, here's the thing. You look at your own image, whether it's in your camera or you look at a mirror, 
And the mirror gives you exactly what you look like. Right? You look at it, and it is a reflection of you. Every little blemish, my nose is a little crooked, my ears one higher than the other, I look like Igor, I don't know, something like that. But when you look at it, very few people are walk away and say, that's awesome. Okay? <laughs> right? Very few people. Most people look in the mirror and say, boy, I sure could change that. I don't like that about me. I don't like this. I wish I looked totally different. I wish my face was taller, my ears were shorter, my nose was shorter, I don't know, all kinds of things. Whatever it is, there's something as we look at that mirror and we say, I wish I didn't look like that. All right? And there's a level of dissatisfaction with yourself when you look in a mirror. Everybody has it, whether you want to admit it or not, okay? If you say you're pretty awesome when you look in the mirror, there's probably something else going on that you may want to talk, <laughs> talk to me about another time, right? So, I'm not saying that you should be dissatisfied, but it's human nature to be dissatisfied with what we see. When we walk away, we live our lives, we work amongst people, do things amongst people, school, whatever we're doing, we don't think all the time about that mirror that blemish on my face, that my ear is higher than the other, or that my eyebrows are connected, or whatever, I don't care, okay? Or I don't have eyebrows, okay? I, I don't think about that all the time, it doesn't consume me. But when I stand in front of the mirror, I can't avoid it. And I walk away, and I don't remember. Once I walk away from the mirror, I don't remember what it looked like. I have a better picture in my mind look pretty good in the picture of my mind, not so good when I go back and look at the mirror, okay? That is human nature, and that is what James is saying that the Bible is like. When you really seek God out, and when you really go and put yourself to try and understand God's truth, it should give you a dissatisfaction. It should say, wow, I've got some blemishes to take care of in my life. I'm not quite up to par here. I'm not quite up to par here. He gives us a couple examples. One that he gives us in that first verse that I had is, Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath, or slow to anger. That means you should shut your mouth and open your ears and don't get angry. How many of us have done really well this week at all of that? I mean, nobody, okay, <laughs> right? So that's one of those things you look in the mirror and say, I didn't quite do that. When I bring it up, maybe Levi will stop talking about it, and then I won't have to think about it anymore. Or, and that's what the mirror thing is. You look at it and you say, ooh, not so good there. But when I walk away, I go outside of Sunday school, and I'm all set. I don't even have to think about that thing that he said up there. That's the idea that we have as a human race. We can just... Sweep it away and forget about it. And I'm doing pretty well when I don't have to confront it. But when I have to go back and confront my sin all the time, I start to realize I'm not doing so well. I'm doing really poorly. Okay? That is what is interesting. And that is what he says. 
Don't just listen and walk away and not do God's Word. Listen to God's Word by acting in good ways, by keeping your mouth shut, and then, then stop doing the things you're doing. Go back. Don't act angry every time your mother says about it, or your sister says this, or your brother says that, or your dad says this. Don't get angry every time those things happen. Swift to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Let it walk away from it. Okay? Walk away from it. Then you start to live God's truth in your life. Okay? You start to see it because you're a doer of the word. Okay? This is the truth. You are a doer of the word that brings that truth. When you bring yourself back to the Word of God consistently, and we have it written down now, but in James' day, much of this was not written down. Okay, They had the Old Testament, and they worked to get it in their brain, but it had to be there. So when you're confronted with that thing that makes you angry, it's not like, well, let me stop and read my Bible about anger, because it's the last thing you want to do at the moment that you're going to get angry. You just get angry. Instead, it should be, in my mind, I know a verse about anger. Well, I know 20 verses about anger because I'm always angry about something. Okay? That's where we put those things in our heart. We live with truth in us. And then when lust and things are enticing us, when we say, nah, I'm going to stay here. Okay? I'm going to stay here. I'm going to listen to the truth. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make my mind up beforehand to stay here and not walk away. So, like a mirror, that's quite an amazing thing that he saw. Now, verse number 25, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, I'm sorry, doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. The perfect law of liberty. So you can say, well, if God just gives me a bunch of rules, right? God gives me a bunch of rules. But what God created you to do, and this is where it gets into the inalienable rights, the freedom that we get. He says, if you follow God's rules, it will give you more freedom than you've ever had. If you do this track, this brings you to shackles. It always brings you to chains. Every time it brings you to slavery. If you want freedom in your life, if you value real true freedom, then you have to put the word of truth in you. That's the way you live. You want to try it? Try a life of this. Go ahead. Give yourself up to whatever you feel like doing. Do it. And you will find there is dissatisfaction. You will be angry. You will be unliked by many because who wants to hear a guy that's always angry all the time? You want to follow it? Do it. Follow it. And you will find that you, you do not feel one ounce of freedom. If you put yourself first always and say, I want it now. I'm going to do what I want to do. Let lust conceive. It brings you the wrong direction. You will feel always, always bound like you cannot get out. And our, the, the forefathers of our country understood this. And so when they wrote our documents, they talked about these inalienable rights. 
okay? The ones that we had, and what they did was base our entire system of government and laws on really God's rules, God's laws, and said, if we want to be a free people, we will follow this to the T. And the truth is, you look at the societies across the world, those societies who more closely follow God's setup from his word are the freest societies. Those who do not follow his word are the most enslaved societies. It's just the truth because God created us as a human. I don't care what country you're from, what color that your skin is. I don't care anything about it. God created humans to have these inalienable rights. And if they live with God's truth within them and act that way, do the right things, live for other people versus themselves, then they will have the freest society ever. The more we do God's word in this country, in our government, in our local towns and states, and everywhere we live here, the more free we will be. The less we do it, the more enslaved we will become. That is just the truth of how it is. It's always been that way. It didn't matter in history who did it, who touched it. This is the truth of how God created us. And it's pretty deep that that's in the book of James, right? It's pretty deep that that's where he understood it. He said, so here's something very, very simple. Just to close out, something very simple. Do not let your anger, your power, your greed, your sexual misconduct, your, your selfishness, your unfaithfulness, your fear, your hatred, do not let them run you. Push them aside. Don't let them conceive into something that will go further. Push those aside. Listen to what God says. And do something very simple. Verse number 26 and 27. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. So in other words, if you can control what you say then you're on the right track to begin with. And there's one more verse. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Two things, two things that God says. This is very simple of how you run your life and your country and your state and your town, your church, your family, everything. First, you controlled your tongue. All right? And then two more things. You help those in need. And you work personally on yourself to, to become closer to God. That's it. That's the whole rules of a nation. Control your tongue. right? You help those in need around you. And you follow God closely, personally. You will have the freest nation of any nation in the world. When you throw out following God closely, and you say everything you feel like saying, and lie to people about it, okay, and you stop really helping people in need, then you have thrown away what God's gift has given you and what purpose he has. You've thrown away the word of truth, and you throw away your freedom. All right? 
it is fundamental that you understand this as a human. I don't care where you're from, where you're going. It's a human, what God gave you. Understand it. All right, thank you very much. Have a good day.